We are in the middle of our study of Ecclesiastes. Um, we call it a candid appraisal. It's Solomon, the king, um, waxing philosophical as he goes, but he's, he's telling us about life as he's seen it and as he's come to understand it um, in a very candid way. He doesn't pull his punches. As we've said before, he is... He doesn't mind making us, the reader, uncomfortable. He doesn't mind us being forced to look at all of the discomfort that comes with what he has to say. The reading you just heard, not exactly the greatest pick-me-up you've ever heard, right? I mean, when we look at Ecclesiastes, we don't look for it for our happy thought for the day necessarily. But what's, what God is doing through Solomon here for us, for, for the reader, is to understand that there is a wisdom to be found in this world only when we look at life candidly. And only when we see things the way they really are. And so Solomon, we jump right in the middle of a passage here where Solomon is talking about some of the more difficult things. He's talking about um, the vanity of toil. He's talking about the brevity of life. And he talks about how we need to try to find some semblance of joy in the middle of all this. That on the surface, it really sounds disheartening until, I, until we back up just a little bit and understand, remember, the purpose for why Solomon wrote. I think we, it's important for us to remember when we pick up the book of Ecclesiastes, we are not listening to some muse who's in a dark place just droning on and on about how terrible everything is and there's, it's all worthless and we might as well just go sit in the corner until Jesus comes back. That's not what's going on here, okay? He has faced the hard truths. He has faced um, the difficult parts. And He wants us to face it with Him. But we're going somewhere. Beyond that, whenever we interpret Old Testament Scripture, remember this, we interpret Old Testament Scripture in the fuller light of the complete revelation that's given to us. Don't forget what we've been taught in the New Testament as it sheds light on the Old. There are things that the Old Testament prophets, those who spoke for God, those who were as close to God as anybody, there are things the Old Testament prophets would have loved to have known that we get to know because we have the New Testament. So remember, when we pick up an Old Testament book like this, we get the perspective, the grand perspective of a fuller revelation. The fuller light of Scripture, right? So when, for instance, when Solomon talks about death, and he talks about how we all go to Sheol, the grave, it, he's using an old Israelite, old Jewish idiom where he's dealing with death as if that were the end. We talk about life, and there's not a whole lot of talk about the afterlife in the book of Ecclesiastes. It, the book's not completely devoid of it. It's there. But death seems to be where he keeps running into the problem. Yes, we can work our whole life, but at the end we've got to die. So what happens to our work? Yes, we can accrue riches for ourselves and be the, be the big man on campus, but at the end of, day, of the day, we die. So what was the point? We know from the fuller revelation of Scripture, we know that death is not the end for us. For Christians to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For the non-Christian to be absent from the body is to be under the judgment of the Lord. There is a full afterlife. There is an eternity after all of this. But we know this because we've got the full revelation of Scripture. 
We don't just have truths in little tidbits. So it's good to understand that and remember that when we approach an Old Testament book like Ecclesiastes. Remember the big idea of the book. What are, we, what are we trying to glean from this? What's Solomon's point? Solomon keeps coming back to this place where he annihilates any idea that we can find our significance and our inherent value in this life and in this world. And he just systematically does it. He takes time talking about, for instance, our work, our career, the things that we spend our life doing, our life's work, and he, he's, he just point by point breaks down how that can't be lasting for us. Work is good. Work is given to us. I believe work is given, can be given in such a way where we can enjoy the process of it. But Solomon knocks any idea aside that we can find our significance, our true reason for being in the work that we do. Remember, Solomon's coming from the perspective, I've been there, and I've gone farther down the road than you have, and I've seen the emptiness of it. He's coming, waving the warning flag to us. I've, I've been the king. Anybody in here king? Anybody in here ruled over a nation? Anybody been, over, been an administrator over tens of thousands of people? I haven't. He said, I've gone farther down this road than you have. If there's, if there's joy and inherent value to be found in work, surely I would have found it. And I'm telling you, it's not there. I'm telling you, it's emptiness at the end. If for no other reason, because we have to die, just like the poor man, just like everybody else. He says, we're not going to find our, our significance in our life's work. We're not going to find significance in the things that we own, the things we can accrue, the money that we store up. Our significance isn't even found in our relationships because the moment something goes sour in a relationship, then it's all over, right? Our significance isn't found in this world. That's the big idea. Our self-worth, though we might desperately seek it here, we're not ultimately going to be satisfied in that pursuit if that's what we are pursuing. So we pick up at the end of chapter number 8, where Solomon is talking about wisdom. He's talking about knowledge and the, the the ability to understand a matter to its fullest. I think there's a point to be made here um, if we look at it. So, he's not just simply talking to the academic, the PhD who studies out a specific branch of study to the degree that we would never even consider although he could be talking to that man. He's talking about how no matter what you think about, pick a science, pick an art, pick a pursuit, pick an idea. You will never be able to research that thing out to its natural conclusion. You will never find the end of it. As smart as we like to think we are, as much as we like to be on top of something, we're never going to be good enough to completely exhaust something. What's the implication there? The implication there is because we're limited, and that's my first point this morning, we're limited. Because we're limited, there's always going to be somebody better. There's a a saying in athletics and sports that records were made to be broken. There, There are guys who in the 1940s or 50s set records in all sorts of athletics that we don't even remember anymore. We don't even remember their name. Why? 
Because somebody else came along and broke the record a long time ago. You might remember the name of the man who broke the four-minute mile. Do you know his name? It's 1947. His name was Roger Bannister. You might have to go back and look it up. It was a big deal. Nobody had broken the four-minute mile. Some people had said it was impossible. He was the first one to officially do it. Now, a guy whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce has broken it by like 17 seconds, which is a lifetime in, in, in short races. I mean, that 17 seconds is an incredible amount of time. He's, he's way under the four-minute mile now. These, these records get broken all the time. So I could spend, the point is, I could spend my life toward a pursuit, and Solomon's reminding me, hey, you can pursue that, but at the end of the day, there's going to be somebody better. 50, 100 years from now, not nearly as many people are going to remember your name as you would like for them to. I can, I can give myself fully to the pursuit in a career. To the exclusion of even my wife and kids. I could just burn the candle at both ends, go 100 plus hours a week, whatever, just pushing myself, grinding, pushing, 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 in order to be the best, in order to make a name for myself, in order to find the fulfillment that I feel like I need. And Solomon stands there waiting on me at the end of the day to say, hey pal, in 100 years nobody's going to remember your name. This is where it gets a little bit, whoa, depressing. Well, what's the point? Well, I think we're going to see there is a point to all of this. There's a point, but the point is not. And this is the point we've been driving home every week in this study. If it sounds redundant, good. We need to get this. You are not going to find your significance here. You're not going to find the reason you were created here. And we, here's, here's where the disconnect is. We say amen to that. We agree with that. We acknowledge that fact. And then we turn around, leave the gym doors, go out into our lives, and go pursue things as if we had never heard that. We constantly go back to these other pursuits. It's not wrong to want to do a good job. It's not, want, it's not wrong to want to be successful in your field. It's not wrong to get blessings from God and to enjoy them, as we're going to see. But we miss the point when we, when we find ourselves driving, 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 pushing, pushing, pushing towards something we can never really get our hands on, thinking that there is a satisfaction or an inerrant definition of significance to be found at the end of our pursuit, we fool ourselves and we set ourselves up for disappointment. Solomon's telling us something here in the last two verses of chapter 8 that I think on the surface sound like a disappointment, when at the end, I think it could be freeing for us. Look at what he says at the end of chapter 8. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, When I applied my heart to know is wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. So he's, he's looking at a couple of things. I look at wisdom. I look at the business that man does on the earth. I look at all the works of God that are to be looked at. 
And I see that I can't find the end of any one of those things, much less get the breadth of knowledge that it would take to be God, to, to understand all the intricacies, if I get that word out there, to its end. He said, however much, may, may, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. I think Solomon's giving us something here that's actually freeing. And here's, here's, here's the freeing concept. You are limited. You are not going to be the Superman that steps in and saves the day. You are not going to be that guy that everybody or that girl that everybody looks at and just says, wow, if I could just be him, if I could just be her. There's no getting past that. That's excellence. That's perfection right there. It's actually freeing for us. It's freeing to our souls to be able to understand I'm limited. Whatever pursuit I take, Whatever thing I go after, yeah, I want to do it correctly, but I'm not going to be perfect at it. That's actually a freeing concept. I like, I like the show Expedition Unknown. Who, who knows that show? My kids like that show. It's this history guy who likes to go around different parts of the earth with a camera crew, and he likes to search out some of these old historical mysteries. Kind of nerdy stuff, but I'm bent that way. I'm a history guy, okay? So he likes to go, for instance, one that my kids just watched. He wanted to go find the lost colony of Roatan, right? Cro Help me out here. Roanoke. Croatan was the island, right, where they, where they did their excavation. But he wanted to find the lost colony of Roanoke. It's one of the big mysteries. Nobody knows what happened to this English colony after, um, after part of them went back. They came to look for them. They couldn't find them. It's, it's one of those shows like that, like that instance, where people try to find out all these unsolved mysteries. They want to know what happened because we don't understand everything. There's some mysteries that we really want answers to. We're kind of built that way. We want answers to something. I like the show. I think it's entertaining, but I think it, it's also, it demonstrates something about who we are as people. Growing up in church, there was a song that we sang every once in a while that, bear with me, even as a kid, it bothered me a little bit. There's a phrase in this song that says, we will understand it better by and by. And I think, and there's also, I've also heard other songs along those same lines, and I, and I think the message, or at least as a kid, what I was thinking, I met the message that was coming across was, we don't understand everything here, but when we get to heaven, we're going to understand it all. I think there could be this concept that once I get there, all the mysteries of life are just going to be explained. It's going to be spelled out for me. And I don't have to, you know, when I get there, I'll get all my questions answered. I think people think sometimes that there's going to be an opportunity for us when we get to heaven to sit Christ down and interrogate Him. Okay, you got some questions I need answering here. You know, tell me why you let me go through this. Tell me why this happened in my life. Tell me about this mystery over here that we never got solved. Why answer my questions for me? I think we're built 
to be inquisitive, to pursue things, but I think there's a danger here. Because every time I open up the Scripture and see where God is interrogated by people, it doesn't turn out very well. Book of Job as evidence number one. Usually you get an answer something like, who do you think you are? And then I read like in Isaiah where God says, God says through the prophet Isaiah, who is the Lord's counselor? Who is the one that has instructed His Spirit how He should operate? Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 9, who are you, O man, that replies against God? Shall the thing that is created speak against the one who created Him? I think there, there tends to be this, this place where we kind of step out of bounds and start asking questions of God that may be outside of our business. Listen to what Randy Alcorn said. He said, God alone is omniscient. When we die, we'll see things far more clearly. And we'll know much more than we now know. But we'll never know everything. In heaven, we'll be flawless, but not knowing everything isn't a flaw. It's part of being finite. This is what I want to bring us back to. Guys, we are not God. The first temptation to the first sin was when the serpent looked at Eve and said, you will be as gods. You will know good and evil as gods. That was the ultimate temptation of pride. You can be like the Most High, the Creator, and we're not Him. I think one of the freeing things about all of this is just to be able to humbly understand, look, I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't, I'm not going to get to do everything I want to do. I'm not going to do it, be able to do everything as well as I'd like. I'm limited. On the surface, this sounds like it sounds so simple. It's almost something like we would teach our little kids and move on. This is just a concept. Yeah, I got it. But do we do we got it? <laughs> do we understand? Because I think there's so many of us who might who might live our everyday lives as as driven people. Like we're, dry, we're driven towards some sense of perfection that we're never going to reach. And it's okay to have standards. It's good to have goals. It's good to, to push yourself. But I'm talking about the person who lives in constant anxiety. Who cannot sit still because there's something else I've got to be doing. I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I'm not pushing hard enough. There's something else I've got to do. I'm not happy until I'm pushing myself to the limit. That drive there, that anxious, something's wrong if I'm not out of sorts emotionally going after something. Do you understand what I mean? We could fall into this sense of being driven way past what God intended for us. Because what Solomon's going to say is, look, Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your blessings. Enjoy the life that I have given you. Take the time to enjoy these things. And what the person I'm talking about right now is the person who does not know how to enjoy what he or she has been given because there's next. Okay, got that done. Next. 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 Go. 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 And I don't believe God designed the Christian life to be an anxiety-filled drive toward something 
amorphous and unattainable. Jesus said, I came to give you life. You can twist that all you want to, but He still said it. I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. He said, my yoke's easy. My burden is light. I've come that you might have joy. It's one thing to have a goal. It's one thing to work hard. It's one thing to sacrifice. It's one thing to do some of these things that you have to do to to be successful to reach something. It's another thing to live life in this anxious way that Jesus never intended for us to live. The freedom here is in this. You're finite. Can I just tell you, you're never going to reach perfection in whatever your pursuit is. You're never going to reach perfection in your relationships. We talked about it in our discipleship study this morning about how we can get an ideal picture of what family and life should look like and we can constantly set ourselves up for failure because we never meet it. We disappoint. Our family members disappoint us. We're finite. We're broken people living in a broken world and God is calling us to joy even in the middle of this broken life. It's not He's not calling us to your best life now, okay? He's not calling you to something where He says, just enjoy life any way you want to apart from Christ. He's given us a way, but He's also not putting everything off until after death. Just push through this hard life that God's demanded of you and you find joy on the other side. God intended for us to enjoy Him now. And to enjoy the life that He's given to us. Now. Even when it's hard. Even when we have to push. But it's not about us and our drive. He calls us to rest. He calls us to faith. He calls us to joy. And understanding that I am limited, I am finite, I can't do it all. Understanding my imperfections and not using them as excuses, but understanding, yeah, that's who I am, but yet God loves me and I'm just going to walk with Him as I'm able, can be freeing. This is as practical as it gets. It can be freeing for you on Thursday when everybody's demanding something of you. And you, under, and you can take a step back with perspective and say, okay, there are some things I need to get done. There are some responsibilities I have. There are some ways I need to sacrifice for some people. But not to the exclusion of my joy. I can walk with Christ in joy now. Let me tell you something. This can be freeing for somebody who might be a people pleaser. Or somebody who's constantly constantly trying to find some vague sense of affirmation by what we do or the relationships we have. Just to give you a, a tangible example, I'll just, I'll just be personal and transparent for just a second. Even as someone on staff at a church, it would be for somebody in the ministry. It would be easy for me, and I know Pastor Jamie could say this, other pastors could say this as well, but it could be easy for me to fall into simply living day by day pleasing people. Or, what's next on the schedule? 
What's next? What's next? There's work to be done. What's next? And to be so goal-driven and so goal-oriented, I'd just forget about the people God has allowed me to be a part of. The, I can do these things to the exclusion of my family. I could do this and my wife and children get ignored. There's a pitfall wherever you are. Whatever you're, wherever you are, what you're doing. I could be so driven towards something, toward the pursuit of excellence or the pursuit of affirmation, that I forget how to live, just live a day of life with my family, with this life, in the place I'm in, with joy. Let me ask you something. This isn't going to apply to everybody, but let me ask you this. Do you find yourself in a place where you just can't, you just can't sit still and enjoy where you are? Anybody like that? You just can't stop and smell the roses. You can't just enjoy the moment. There's always something that's next. Or 15 other things that should be done right now. Jesus had something to say to a lady named Martha about that. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. I think we give Mary a bad rap here sometimes. It's almost like the story goes, Martha's doing all the work Mary never helped in the first place. I imagine she had some work that she was doing before Jesus got there. But when it was time to enjoy the presence of the Master, she sat down and listened. And it was Martha who was banging pots and pans around in the kitchen, finally blowing her top, saying, Savior, can you please tell her to get in here? There's work to be done. And Jesus rebukes her. He says, She's, she understands with perspective, what the better things are here. God's called us to a life of joy. A life of trust. A life where we can rest in Him. And I think, I'm afraid that we can get to where that's more of a concept than a reality. He didn't call us to these things in in theory. He wants us to rest in Him. It leads... The fact that we're limited leads to the second point, verses 1-6, one through six, where he talks about how we are mortal. We are mortal. So not only are we limited in this life, but it's not, it, there is a definite end date. We are mortal. And Solomon in these six verses talks about how the good man and the unrighteous man, the successful man, the unsuccessful man, they all come to the same end. The one who has evil in his heart, the one who is naturally given, naturally giving to others, they both still come to the same place at the end of the day. So much like the first point where we talked about where we're limited, I think there's something freeing here if we can uncover it. Now nobody wants to address this, not too deeply anyway, but here's what Solomon does with this subject of death. He looks you, the reader, square in the eye. Let's pretend I'm the reader here. I'll direct it toward me, okay? And he says, Ben, one day you are going to die. I need to accept this. This this truth. One day I'm going to breathe a breath and then there won't be any more. And my life on this earth will be over. 
That's coming. Let's just face that head on. One day, it'll be my family, hopefully, gathered around what's left of me here. One day, they're sticking a toe tag on my foot. Right? One day, they're going to be picking out the colors of my casket. One day, they're going to walk by and say, don't he look good? Maybe not. That's coming for me. We're mortal. It's happening. It's going to happen. Now, our natural defense mechanism might kick in here and say, don't, why are you talking about this? Good grief. We had such a good time worshiping Jesus earlier while we were singing, and now you've got to talk about how we're going to die. Thanks a lot. But Solomon comes with a mirror and just holds it right in front of our face and says, you've got to face this. You've got to understand this. This isn't theory. One of these days, my cold body's going in the ground. Why do I need to face this? Why do I need to think about it in those terms? By the way, those of you who have talked to me know that I talk about my dad a lot. This, this idea of death is not something in theory out there. It's something that I face and I will continue to face just as we all. I'm sensitive to the fact this morning that there are people in here who have lost loved ones. I, I know that. I get that. The fact that that's true can't cause me to ignore the most, one of the most obvious things in this life, and that is that this life is going to come to an end as we know it. It's going to happen. It's the hardest thing we face, and it's something... It's why we so consistently and so powerfully ask a congregation, please consider your own mortality because your soul will live forever. Your soul will live forever either in the presence of Christ or not. But it's that important. This isn't theory. It's going to happen. So we preach Christ so passionately because this is everything. This life is temporal. It's it's fleeting. Those of you who are older than me could testify to this, but I'm beginning to see this more and more. Every year that goes by is just a little bit faster than the one before. Every month that goes by is just it's rolling into each other just a little more than it did before. It's coming. It's going to happen. And it's not in theory. It's, happen. it's going to happen to me. I'm mortal. So these truths combined, I'm finite and I'm mortal, boy, that could be pretty depressing. Except I think it could be very free, freeing to understand that I've been given a set brief amount of time, it, when you compare it to the scope of history, a brief period, a little period of time on this rock that's spinning around our sun in this gigantic galaxy that we don't even know anything about, this tiny little person, Ben Morrow, and, and you tiny little people have been given something. You've been given a space of time where you get to live life as a creature created in the image of God. God, for whatever reason, decided it was good to create you so that you could reflect His glory, who He is. 
in a way that no other creature can. You are made for His glory. You are made to display His beauty. You are made to get to know Him. You were made to enjoy Him. And though my life, because we live in a broken world as broken people, we're, we're finite, we're, we're going to meet our end, this life is not meaningless and it's not given for us just to go as hard as we can after whatever our pursuit is because we've only got a short amount of time and then it's over. We're given a special privilege, a place where we can know and understand and get to know the Creator of all things. We get to know God. And Jesus came and sacrificed Himself so that we could live that kind of life. Listen, He didn't just save us so that we'd have fire insurance and heaven's there waiting on us. And then He just said, figure it out from here. He saved us so that we could really, really, really live. And know what it means to live. Because we're His. Because our hearts have been made alive to who He is and His greatness and His glory. We get to know God. We get to know Him. And we're made to pursue Him and the joy that's been found with Him. Solomon says at the beginning of verse 7, Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. I think we can read these verses and come to the end where we say, it's almost like He's given up and said, just do whatever you can because at the end of the day, we die. That's not it. That's not it. He's saying because he's warning us against wrong pursuits, distracting pursuits, pursuits that suck the life out of us and the joy out of us. The call here is a call to really learn how to enjoy what God's given me. I could be thankful for my wife but I could be thankful for her without really enjoying the fact that I, she has been given as a gift to me and start thinking about that and living instead of using her as an afterthought, really understanding what God has called us to to live together in that spousal relationship before Him. I could, I could use the things that God has given me as just kind of afterthoughts. Well, He gives us money, He gives us a house, it's something He blesses us with. Or I could understand that God, in His mercy, has looked directly at me and said, I love you. Because of Jesus, you don't have to search for affirmation anymore. You don't have to pursue hard after other people's approval anymore. You don't have to work hard to be something, and if you don't, if you don't get it, I'm unhappy with you. God says, because of Jesus, I am happy with you. Period. End of story. Now here's all the blessings that come with that. Enjoy me. And enjoy the life I have for you. It's called a joy. Jesus came, and when He came, He spilt His blood as a sacrifice for us. And that act of love, that sacrificial act, was not done just, just to make sure we could make it to heaven. There's so much more involved in that. So much more. Jesus 
wants us to learn how to live. To live by faith. To live with joy. That's what we were made to pursue. So the summary of this is that whether it's physical gifts, whether it's um, relationships or work or knowledge or whatever we're talking about here, these are gifts, love gifts given to us, not to be our idols, not to be our final pursuits, but to be love gifts where we take and enjoy God with. It's a big difference. There are two different aims that end in two different places. If the pursuit becomes everything before my eyes, it will disappoint and I will have missed the purpose for the gift. But if, but if the gift is taken with thanksgiving and it directs me to enjoy God more and to love Him more and to get to know Him more, then I will enjoy not only Him but what He gives me and I will fulfill the purpose of the love gift. Our joy is found in Him. We were made this way. We were created this way to enjoy Him. So, even when it comes to hard subjects that Ecclesiastes keeps bringing up for us, subjects like you're finite, you're not perfect, you're mortal, you're not God, still there's hope here. That's the difference between this and some existential way of living. There is hope here because of Jesus. Jesus died for us. And because Jesus died and now lives, there is hope. Yeah, I'm going to lay down my body one day. But because Christ defeated death on my behalf, there's a resurrection coming too. Yeah, I'm going to face that hard day one day. But because Jesus went before me, I can live life now and know that the minute I step on the other side, I'm there with Him and will be living life eternally. That's why Jesus could say, He who believes in Me will never die. Knowing what we know, He who believes in Me will never die. Our hope, our joy, our everything is always going to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank You. I want to thank You that You don't just deal with us on the surface level because that would be easy to listen to, but it also wouldn't deal with the deepest cries of our heart. Lord, Teach us what it means to give up our own attempts at a sovereign rule for our lives, knowing that You are the only sovereign. Teach us what it means to let You give us the life You want us to have, knowing that You're a good God who gives us life and joy and blessing. Help us to be a people who experiences that as we experience You and get to know You for who You really are. We love You. We need You. And yet we wouldn't have anything except for Christ. But thank You so much for sending Him for us. 
that we might be called children of God. In Jesus' name.